This is Professor Funky. We are back with Tabletop Hot Takes. Joined, of course, as always, by my co-host, Aria. Aria, Howdy, introduce hi. yourself. My name is Aria. been in the tabletop roleplay scene for better part of a decade and love every bit of it. I've been in the space for long enough to have some hot takes, which is why I'm here. Wonderful, wonderful. It's why we keep you around. Well, this week, <laughs> as we promised last week, our topic is, is the Game Master a player? Big old question mark on the end of that. And I think this is something that both of us have some pretty developed opinions about. I even had to do some research for this time, which is fun, question mark. Got some really interesting quotes from the grandfather of our hobby, Gary Gygax, as well as from kind of the father of the modern hobby, Mr. Matthew Colville. Interesting, interesting things there. But I want to take it over to Aria first. What's your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I am pretty firmly in the GM is a player camp. There are some systems that make it more explicit, some systems that make it less so. There are even GMless systems, which I definitely want to dive into later. Uh, yeah, on the whole, the GM should definitely be a player. Absolutely. So he, I guess here's the real crux of this question. And this is kind of what Mr. Gygax's quotes really get into, which is what is the separation? Because no matter what, even if the game master is a player, because we don't call them players, what is the difference if they are still a player? Well, in my opinion, I think that they act mostly as the adjudicator. They are doing the interpretation of how certain roles and how certain checks go. And usually they are storyteller, which is the GM term for White Wolf games. Yes, and, is storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. And that title actually really speaks to me. It's like, okay, cool. You have more knowledge than the rest of your players, but you are intimately involved in this group storytelling, story crafting. So you are as much a player as anyone else. You just are playing a different role. Okay, so you're stating that the Game Master is a player, as in they are part of the group, they are playing a game, but their role is just different. Maybe a little bit upgraded might be the way you we, one could put it? I think that upgraded is a good phrase. It's way less convoluted than what I was thinking, which is like, GM is a subset of player, but... <laughs> <laughs> the programmer in you is coming out. Yes, exactly. Well, so that brings me to my first quote. So this is actually from Keep on the Borderlands, Adventure B2. So this was the second adventure written by Gary Gygax for the basic system. So in original Dungeons & Dragons, we're talking way back in the day, he had B, I, and A adventures. Uh, that's basic, intermediate, and advanced. And basic, in this case, is very subjective, especially to what we would consider complicated today versus the 70s. In Keep on the Borderlands, Mr. Gygax, Gary, you know, the grandfather of the tabletop role-playing game genre, idea, all of it. If y'all don't know who he is, I really recommend you look him up. He's got a hell of a life story. He wrote about game mastering and, and about dungeon mastering. If all of this seems too much to handle, never fear. Just as your players are learning and gaining real experience at D&D, so too will you be improving your ability as a DM. The work necessary to become a master of the art is great, far greater than that necessary to be a top player, but the rewards are proportionate. You will bring untold enjoyment to many players in your role as DM, and all the while you will have the opportunity to exercise your imagination and creativity ability to the fullest. May each of your adventure episodes always be a wondrous experience. And that, I think, really speaks to what you're talking about, where the Game Master is separate, 
but equal in some ways. You still have to learn, you still have to grow, you still have skills that make you better at that art, just as any artist does. But the rewards that come with it are proportionate. Running a game is, in my opinion, so much more work, but genuinely more fun as well, because you get the enjoyment of everyone at the table, not just yourself. Yes, and I also feel like a huge part of role-playing is that buy-in from your players, that ability to be like, all right, no, we are all inhabiting this shared imaginary world together, and we're all interacting as though we were there. That's the crux of the role-play experience. If you are jamming and you get that player who's super into the story that you're telling, it's like, oh, yeah. This is the energy that will continue to feed me as I create more plots and more hooks and more avenues for these characters to explore and see how far they can push their luck or standing or however, whatever their particular goals are. Some of the best experiences I've personally had have been whenever I've got players that are like, I can't wait for next session. I want to see what happens even on times we've been in a resolution phase. Like, okay, next time we're going to have some downtime. And they're like, I can't wait to see what happens next. <laughs> Absolutely. It's funny because, in my opinion, that's the way that I think of a game master. I am truly the forever GM. I have been game mastering since I was 10 years old. I've basically not played in a game since my first game when I was a young kid. And because of that, I've always felt that I enjoy myself much more being on that side of being able to be like, oh, you're all are into this. You're having a great time. Like, but that also brings me to my actual thoughts on this topic, which is that a game master is not a player because they are a host. Now, that is very much a personal thing. I don't think that other people should probably ascribe to this thought way. <laughs> um, I think it comes from a background of theater and a background of parties and catering and hospitality. But I think of a game master as a host of a party. Does a host have fun at a party? Yes. But a lot of the host's fun is the fact that their guests are having fun. Whereas the guests of party have fun because the party is fun. I can absolutely see that. And I think that that makes a lot of sense, actually. Something that comes up for me, though, is that the role the game master plays is just as interactive, if not more so, in that game world. You are being the one that, that is putting on many different hats when your players are interacting with NPCs or performing quests or solving problems. That to me gives me the same feeling as being a player in those games. As I am able to wear these hats for a briefer period of time, but I am still engaging the world as I would if I were a player of the game. Then again, to your point, I completely understand where you're going with the hosting because at the back of your mind, you are always thinking of, how is this advancing the plot? How am I disseminating this information? Every time you are interacting with an NPC, the characters and players in your game have a chance to learn more about the world and interact with it. And you have to be judicious with that information at times, especially depending on the genre of game you're running. Absolutely. 100%. It's funny because, again, I don't think that most people 
should think of themselves that way. I think that is a very hard kind of subservient role, which I'm just very good at getting into because of that hospitality background, of that theater background, of that idea of I am performing for you. It just happens to be that my audience is my players, at least in some ways. So I have some really kind of intensive thoughts about that. Not sure that that is necessarily helpful to a lot of other players, but if there's someone out there who can feel that sort of thing, then I think it's something to kind of lean into. It's the idea of, I am here performing for you, you are enjoying my performance, and getting to perform back to me. And it's give and take a little bit of everything. And I think that's where it also makes sense then to think of yourself as one of the players because you should be giving and taking. It should not just be, and this is where it's very easy to fall down that rabbit hole of saying, I am the game master. I'm telling a story. Do not become a writer. And I think that there is a trouble there where someone who takes this philosophy too far becomes a writer. And they say, well, I have this grand story to tell, and you are here to experience it. Yeah, if you don't have players that are going to interact with things in an unexpected way, then you should be writing a book. And not a problem with that, but it is a very different skill set. There is something you had just said that made me re-examine one of my biases, I suppose. You described that the GM was a performer there in this performer role. I try to bring that same energy as a performer, as an improver, as a thespian to the player role as well. I understand that not everyone does that, but I think that because I do, and I think that's how I interact with things as a player, that might not necessarily be everyone's experience with their players as a GM. It's funny you bring that up. That is something that I definitely want to talk about at a later time because I believe that's actually part of the eras of role-playing. If we look at Gary Gygax and his friends back in the day, they wanted a war game. They just wanted a different experience. So they wanted to play a single person rather than an army. And if we then look towards the future, there was this evolution where no longer was tabletop role-playing games for the war gamers or for the people who wanted some grand event. Well, I guess grand adventure. The point is, there was this evolution. And slowly, I believe that the thespian is one of my types of players. I think there's really like eight or nine of them. And I believe that one of them is the thespian. And that's the person who comes to tabletop role-playing games from a theater background who wants to play a character. As a game master, we play many characters, but as a player, you only play one. And there is really that evolution. That was not always true. The role-playing part of the RPG was the least important part. (laughs) I think that, yeah, I broadly agree, especially if you look back at the first rules for some of the earlier editions of D&D. Those are very tight dungeon crawlers, and they're very good at what they do, but they don't have the social interaction component or other things like that. Again, I'm not going to go too in-depth there, because we definitely have room for that in later episodes. Yeah, I think we need to go into the eras of role-playing, because I think that'll kind of make a foundation for at least myself. It's something I've worked on for many years of research and reading and putting together, like, how has this hobby grown and changed and become what it is today? 
which is very, very unique and very, very different from what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. This hobby is now officially 50 years old, which is insane. And that means that there's been a lot of growth and change over that time. Yeah, hard to agree. It's becoming more and more mainstream with a more and more wide player base. So you will get those different experiences. There's one other quote that I want to bring up here, and that is from another interview with Gary Gygax, the grandfather of our hobby, and that is with Game Developer. It's a website. I'm pretty sure they were something like an online magazine, but this is in 2002, so still 20 years ago. Gary said, I do not, and I stress not, believe that the RPG is storytelling in the way that is usually presented. If there is a story to be told, it comes from the interaction of all participants, not merely the game master who should not be a storyteller, but a narrator and co-player. The players are not acting out roles designed for them by the GM. They are acting in character to create the story. And that tale is told as the game unfolds and as directed by their actions, with random factors that even the GM cannot predict, possibly altering the course of things. And that, I think, really presents the other side of this argument, where it is the idea that the first thing really talked about how a game master and players is similar but very different. That being a game master is just a player but on steroids. It's so much harder, it's so much more rewarding, bigger risk, bigger reward. And then later, as he mellowed out, because Gary made some pretty big changes in his life and is a very different person in 2002 from who he was in the 70s and who he was in the 90s. And he said this time that a game master is a narrator and a co player, that we together as a group of three to nine people at a table are here making something together and truly collaborative, that I, as the game master, cannot exist without my players, and my players similarly cannot exist without my game master. And that's a very interesting idea that he presented there as well. I would love to draw a parallel between two hobbies that I enjoy. The first is role-playing and jamming. The second is legacy board games. Ooh, okay. That second quote that we touched on, that where we were talking about unpredictable factors, and it's not just you dictating a story, it's you collaboratively coming up with what happens with this idea of randomness injected in. It adds that spice. A legacy board game has this same element of continuity and a story being told. You can look at the board state as it gradually evolves over time and work backwards and say, these are the events that shaped this world to make it look like this. And now we continue playing. The big difference for me is that most legacy board games don't have a subjective element to them. They are very rigid. It's very, if X happens, Y is the effect. Right. So it could be predicted. Right. There's not a method in which one player is going to determine how this board will evolve. It's always dictated by logic and game rules. That, I think, is the biggest takeaway from that last Gygax quote. If we were following a purely deterministic, or I suppose deterministic with random elements, then it turns into a zero-adventure narrative instead of a living breathing story that multiple people are injecting their own characters, viewpoints, and experiences into. Yeah, absolutely. That's what makes this hobby so unique. Why do we not play computer games? Why do we not play Japanese RPGs? Why do we not play various other games that allow us to occupy a role and to embody it and to change things? 
I actually remembered this from Game Developer. The person interviewing Gary Gygax in that article uh, was one of the co-creators of Deus Ex, one of the classic computer role-playing games, in my opinion, that truly emphasized player choice and the ability for you to change the world. But at the end of the day, you could only do what was programmed in the game. And no matter how much we make Baldur's Gate 3 and how complicated it is and how huge it is and how expansive it is, it will never allow you to do something that the game could not have predicted. That's exactly it. A computerized AI in the game development sense, not the buzzword. Yes. Those are ultimately going to be tackled by the code that is written. And it will boil down to if else freeze. There will be certain flags that are set and certain outcomes will be made based off of those flags. As such, you can work backwards and see how every choice will ripple out, even in a very involved game. That's why you can predetermine every aspect of a role-playing game by examining what it's able to be programmed to do. I should say that's a video role-playing game, not a tabletop role-playing game. Right, a CRPG versus a, t- a TTRPG, computer role-playing game versus tabletop role-playing game. Exactly, yes. Yeah. It's so intricate because much as yourself, you obviously came into this hobby after console gaming or just video gaming in general was very established, as did I, though there was definitely a limit to what was possible. And I think today we're getting closer and closer to where that limit is of what can a computer game do versus a tabletop role-playing game. And I'm getting way off topic here as usual, but I think this is really what defines A, why is a game master important? Why is it so intricate? Why is it so intrinsic to what a tabletop role-playing game is? And more again, in my opinion, why is the Game Master not a player? Because if we lump them together, then what do we have? But I think you brought up a great topic earlier, which was Game Master-less tabletop role-playing games. Like, look at Wander Home or, oh god, what was that thing called? Like, Dark Shadows or something like that? It's very strange. It's a game for three players exactly, and you basically embody a Dark Souls like world where one player plays the world, one player plays the wandering hero, and one player plays the monsters. But all of it is just collaborative journal writing, which is very intriguing. It's super weird. It's very intricate. But none of those games strictly have that game master role, but they are still that same collaborative story. Still that same thing that Gary said we we are doing that makes this hobby what it is. So what I guess I'm saying is Professor Funky is lying to himself, and a Game Master is absolutely a player. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't think that you need to phrase it exactly like that. But yeah, I am firmly in the GM as a player camp for these reasons. Hey, we are tabletop hot takes, and I will be nothing if not harsh on myself. (laughs) Fair, fair. I want to delve into something very related to this, which is I have seen some systems that have a rotating GM. And oh, that is the system itself. Yes, exactly. Well, I don't think uh, I've actually seen that. Oh, okay. So it's usually rotating per scene. It would yeah. be equivalent to, say, there's three players. Player A will be the person describing the scene. Player B will be determining what happens based off of the checks that they make. Next scene starts. Player B is describing what they do. Player C is going to be describing what happens based off of the check that they made. 
These are usually the simpler ND systems, but I find that really intriguing because it gives everyone a little taste of that GM role, what it feels like to improv and do these things. And I like that on a personal growth aspect. I could see that really intriguing, especially for a younger person in this hobby. Like when I first started, if I was shown that sort of thing and me and my friends could have done that, I think it could have resulted in a very interesting change in myself and possibly a very positive one where no longer was I the person who was always the host of the party, but instead we are all hosting a party together. That's intriguing. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I love the idea of that becoming more mainstream. I feel like a lot of the development that I'm seeing is in these smaller indie RPGs. The big players are established. They know what they're about. They have a brand. But the really interesting things, in my opinion, are these one-page RPGs and how much story you can squeeze out of very limited rule sets. <laughs> Absolutely. Look at Well, I guess I was going to say Honey Heist, but Honey Heist tells a very specific story. So I guess I should back off from that a little. But yeah, absolutely. There's such a design space here that's really been explored in the Renaissance in the last five years that has changed the way that we think of tabletop role-playing games and, and allowing people who have these very complex ideas, these very intricate ideas to express them and get them out into the world. There's one other, not exactly quote that I want to pull out here, and that is from a video by Matt Colville. If Gary Gygax is the grandfather of this hobby, I think that Matt Colville is in some ways the father of the hobby, today at least. I think there's a few people who really fill that role, if we were like Jeremy Crawford, possibly Mike Merles, but I think that there are people who've really kick-started in some ways the designer of Apocalypse World and Powered by the Apocalypse in general, who've really kick-started the way that we think of role-playing games today in the last 10 years. And Matt Colville is one of them, in my opinion. His running the game series on YouTube very much A, inspired me to want to put my voice out there and to podcast or to video or something like that to talk about these decades of experience that I have and all the things that I've done over that time. But also, he is able to bring people into this world through Dungeons & Dragons because it is the one that is mainstream, but because also it is such an easy platform for a lot of different things. There's a lot that's written about it, and so it can be very easily accessed. But he has a wonderful video called The GM is Also a Player. And his main takeaway there was something that we haven't really talked about, which is that the GM has to be a player in the player's minds, or the GM could not have fun. And it's a very intriguing idea. He really talks about how if the game master is not doing something that they find fun, then the players probably aren't going to have fun. And if players aren't having fun, then the game master can't really have fun. And it's this cyclical relationship, kind of back to that cyclical storytelling, that collaborative nature. If one person in a collaboration is not contributing or is a downer, then the whole group can just become a downer. And talks about some of his methods, some of the things that he does, some of them I've done for years as well. When you start a new campaign, present to your players the sorts of things that you want to do. For myself, I offer four to five different systems and campaigns and say, hey, I'm interested in running these things. What do you guys want to do within those limits? So the players don't get to say, well, we want to run a high-flying anime adventure. And you're like, yeah, all of these are very grounded and horrific. So let's have a conversation there. 
that idea that if the game master is not doing something that they're at least interested in, then their design is not going to be very fun, their characterization is not going to be on point, just everything that they do is not going to be as good as it could be, as opposed to if they were having a great time and were embodying that role. Yeah, I do think that there's a little bit of room for nuance, and this is my hot take. I think that enjoyment of the GM does not necessarily derive from filling that player role, though the GM should be having fun and enjoying what they're doing. My room for nuance there is, I think that it is possible for you to tell an engaging story and also have fun as a GM while not being as engaged or animated. Like, I see that being a possibility in some kind of survival situation where the environment itself is really the obstacle instead of other players. I don't think that there is a wrong way to GM as long as you and your players are both having fun. I think there are a lot of different ways to GM, and I think that many of them are valid. But I am hesitant to say that this is the way that it should be, and the statement that the GM should be a player to have fun, which admittedly is a little bit reductive, it feels too absolutist for me. You know, it's interesting that you say absolutist. You opened up with that idea that this is a topic where there is so many sundry ways to think about it. And yeah, I don't know that any of them is wrong. Okay, that's not true. There are absolutely wrong answers here, but those wrong (laughs) answers are more extreme, like saying that the game master and the players are completely separate at all times, and we should treat it like a referee back in the 70s where the game master is behind a screen and they never even see the players, and they roll all the dice. The players just say what they're doing. The game master rolls the die and tells the player what happened. I don't think we want to go back to that. I don't think that that is a necessarily valid <laughs> I hard agree, but that's only because it wouldn't work for me personally. And that's my hot take, and this is why we're a hot take podcast and not a how-to-play podcast or how-to-DM-better podcast. Because I don't feel comfortable describing what works for me with being, this is how it should go. This is how everyone else should DM because this is how I have fun. Well, that, that kind of sums up the whole, the whole crux of this issue. Is the Game Master a player? Maybe? <laughs> yeah, there is one more game I want to bring up. And that is Ryotama. For those who haven't heard of this game, it's like if Miyazaki had made Oregon Trail. No, it is. It's a lovely, serene pastoral adventure where a lot of the obstacles come from traveling, traversing weathers, having these little stories. It's a very soft world. In that, the GM has a specific character that they are also embodying. They are a player explicitly and also a GM and that they are adjudicating roles and telling the larger story and keeping the plot in their head. This GM and PC, explicitly, has their own set of powers and rules on how they can use those powers, and their goal is to help the traveler succeed without being noticed. They help in subtle little ways. They can do some minor assistance. The in-character motivation is actually really cute, too. These are people that are caretakers of the dragons, and for the dragons to grow big and strong, they need to eat stories. So the GM and PC is sitting there writing down the adventure story so that they can feed them to their dragon companions later. I'm like, oh, that's very cute. That is adorable. 
With that, though, this is the system that comes to mind where we have the GM that is serving this larger role, but they are also embodying a character and not just an NPC that can do whatever they can get away with, but one that has specific rules and restrictions on them and what they are able to do. And that's really intriguing to me. Yeah, I also uh, am been looking up while you've been talking some of the some of the stuff on this game. This game is gorgeous. It reminds me of like early Final Fantasy art, but cuter. <laughs> yeah, very heavily JRPG inspired. In fact, the battle system has a front row, back row that fans of that series will be immediately familiar with. But we digress. That is a very interesting proposition for me because that game I had started playing it whenever I was. And that forever GM role, but I was kind of craving a little bit more of a player interaction thing because I was usually very busy plotting out things and my NPCs weren't getting the time to shine the way that I wanted to. I was craving more interaction. So being able to say, I do this because this and having rules supporting that and having that be an explicit role was a breath of fresh air for me at that time. Oh man, the more I read this, the more I really dig it. It has aspects of combat and of consequences to your actions and aspects to supply and resource management. You have to pack the things that you need. Though there is a feel-good element, there is also the idea that not everything is cute and fuzzy. That's kind of a trap that I think some of these pastoral games can fall into is everything's cute, everything's fine all the time, and that can make it feel almost unchallenging for some of those players that do want that challenge and do want that that aspect to it. Yeah, I have a lot more to say on this game, but in the interest of time, I will probably stop myself. I would actually say, okay, so there's there's two options here. We could actually go more into this, or we could make that next week's topic. I say we punt it, but that's just me. (laughs) Well, that, I think, wraps it up for this session, then. We will come back next time. Is going to be Aria leading the discussion, talking about Ryutama. And I'm going to do some research. Professor is going to get in the library and see what he can find about this game, because this is very intriguing, even just from the little bit that I found on the website. I am already immediately like, ooh, ooh, I'm into this. Yeah, it's a good system. I'll bring that indie flair. Absolutely. I think that wraps up our hot takes for this time. You know, uh, for those game masters out there who are having that difficulty of managing expectations and their wants and needs, remember Gary Gygax is behind you. His spirit and his ghost just wishes for you to have a wonderful time. And remember that all he ever wanted to do was play games with his friends. And that's all that we want to do, too. So... Sometimes the Game Master has to be a player to have a good time and enjoy themselves, and sometimes the Game Master needs to not be a player to be able to manage expectations and handle an unruly table. And to further contradict myself, I will say this one piece of advice. Maybe look into doing a lighter one-shot. Maybe look into doing a side game. Maybe look into doing these things that will give you a breath of fresh air, because there's definitely been periods of disillusionment and rapturous attention paid to this hobby for me personally. That wraps up this session. Aria, take us out of here. We'll see y'all next time. Take care.